Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine Saint Clair. All aboard! Welcome to a new episode of Crazy Train Podcast. This week's guest, it's kind of a surprising one because it's someone that we worked against before in XPW Wrestling, but JD Horror has this really cool podcast that I started binging on. It's very, um, it's interesting, it's creepy, it's scary, it's a true crime horror story podcast. A lot of people have been listening to it that I know, actually, that's how I first learned about it. Then there's also Postmortem, but what's very interesting is he went to school doing collegiate wrestling. And I know a lot of you guys find it hard to grasp that concept that a lot of deathmatch wrestlers know how to actually wrestle a full-on match. But here he is. Let's welcome him to the show, JD Horror. It is January, the year of our Lord, 2024. I know that's like a really weird way for me to start a podcast. I normally don't do that. Thank you for joining us today, JD Horror. You look way different than the last time I saw you. I'm just saying... Just saying. <laughs> yeah, a lo- little bit less blood, a little, little bit less face paint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, what's this all about? Because there's a huge, co- like, there's a huge crash right there between like horror films, true crime, and of course, deathmatch wrestling. How did you get started with deathmatch wrestling, and why deathmatches? I started uh, back in 2008. Um, was when I made my debut, um, and. I had watched wrestling as a kid and everything, you know, Hulk Hogan and all the old school wrestling, you know, when I was a kid and kind of phased out of it as I got older and started uh, playing punk bands and just doing other stuff, you know. Uh, but then I found ECW. So when I when I saw ECW come on uh, randomly on TV, I was like, oh, these guys are actually, you know, doing more hardcore crazy shit. This is like kind of like a punk rock version of wrestling. So I kind of got into that and then found Japanese death matches, that kind of stuff. And that's when I really was like, you know what, this is something I might want to do. I was in wrestling since I was uh, nine years old as a kid. So I was actually uh, second in state for freestyle wrestling when I was 12 years old. And I went to uh, Montana for regionals, which is like the best of 11 states. And I got third in Greco and fifth in freestyle. So I had actual uh, wrestling as a kid till I started getting in trouble in high school and kind of phased out of that, you know, uh, wasn't really having the best priorities. And so I had a background in wrestling, but then started training in 2008. And at the time that I was starting off into independent wrestling, there was no death matches really going on in California because XPW had closed. Uh, you know, there was really no one really doing it till uh, I, so I would do like hardcore matches, you know, at my home companies. And, and then finally, uh, Legion Championship Wrestling came about, Max Pro, UEW, like the the ones that started up before XPW came back, and I was able to do a lot of death matches and kind of travel the country doing death match tournaments and that kind of stuff. It's a very scary thing. There are too many holy shit moments, especially when you guys <laughs> decide to go running out in the crowd. It's not really um it's very improvisational. Of course, yeah. <laughs> especially uh, with uh out there with who you're with out there, you know, <laughs> anything can happen. Yeah, that's what I learned. Like, you just got to go with it. I think the first time I actually was ringside for it is when Necro Butcher did this in New Jersey. I'm like, okay, so uh, 
yeah, here we are. And it's also <laughs> an opportunity at that point where fans try to grab you. And it's kind of a stupid thing because I have a Singapore cane and there are wrestlers in the building. It's not too sure. smart. But <laughs> sure. I think a lot of fans forget you guys actually know how to wrestle. So you were doing real wrestling, like collegiate style wrestling. As a kid, yeah. And then until I got into high school, I got in trouble. <laughs> hurt my knee, started, you know, just drinking and smoking pot and all the stuff that teenage kids do and partying and not really like prioritizing the wrestling so kind of dropped out of it till i got into professional wrestling but yeah i was trained you know at a wrestling school i'm not like a, a backyarder or any of those guys that just kind of figure out oh i can just do this you know um, i actually did formal training for almost two years before i had my first match i wish that some places would incorporate like all aspects of it what, what do you think a lot of wrestling companies like a lot of the indies and so forth or even the ones that have some sort of a presence on the world wide web would be lacking in the companies like personally i think it's storylines and i think it's a lot of young guys doing big moves for the sake of doing a big move or sure. um doing too many light tubes w what are your thoughts on just wrestling in general with indies I think uh, psychology is important, like the structure of the match, not just doing a bunch of flips to do a bunch of flips. And then it becomes like acrobatics or like a dance instead of like a real fight. You know, if you, if me and Necker are out there fighting, you know, don't know what's going to happen and not really planning a bunch of stuff. You know, it's just kind of, we're out there going back and forth. That's a lot different than, you know, a bunch of high spots and flippy shit and, you know, just trying to show off how athletic you are, you know, that kind of takes away when I, I feel like when you plan too much of the match, it takes away it becoming like a real fight. You know, it, it, it looks staged and rehearsed and that's not what this should be about. Yeah. That totally annoys me. I was looking at something on Instagram. Oh, um, it was on turning point USA. They had something on their Instagram post and they compared it to wrestling being fake. I have to tell you, like, I don't really get involved on posts with people and going back and forth, but that's yeah. the one time I said, you know, anyone who thinks it's wrestle, it's fake is ignorant. It's choreographed. Okay. And if you think it's fake, then go into the ring. Let me know how your body feels after it hits a mat and you get hit with a light tube. Are you afraid of mercury poisoning? Uh, not really. I guess <laughs> I probably wouldn't be doing this if I, if I did, you know, probably I've, I've probably done like, I would say almost 200 death matches Ooh. over the course of, 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 uh, you know, it's been, I, I stopped wrestling in 2015 and then I came back to XPW California because when XPW restarted, I'm like, well, this was what, this is the platform I wish I would have had all those years that I was, you know, grinding it out and dingy warehouses in East LA and stuff to, to do death matches, but without this big stage of a pay-per-view and stuff, I was fortunate enough to, Traveled the country doing major deathmatch tournaments like IWA King of the Deathmatch. I did Carnage Cup. I did On Point Wrestling Survival of Sickest. I've been to Slave to the Deathmatch uh, in Denver, Colorado, I think seven times. And I, I actually won that in 2015. That was kind of when I stopped wrestling uh, because of, at the time, thinking that I had too many concussions. You know, I was having brain fog, memory lapse, all kinds of crazy stuff. Uh, turned out, though, that it wasn't the concussions. I have Hashimoto's disease, which is a thyroid condition. Yep. So I, I have hi hypothyroidism. And so when I got the meds and got that right, it all went away and I felt better. And I'm like, you know what? XPW is back. Maybe I will do this because Schlack had been asking me, hey, come back. Come on. Me and you, we're going to have a match. Come on. Come on. And he asked me a couple of times. And I'm like, well, if I don't say yes, he's probably going to stop 
asking eventually and I'm feeling pretty good. You know, I started lifting again and, and trying to get back in shape. And, uh, you know, I started, uh, Three, there was three weeks notice that I was going to do California too. So basically from not wrestling to about three weeks to get ready. So I wasn't really in the shape that, that I wanted to be. But ever since then, I uh, built my home powerlifting gym back and been at it two and a half hours a day. So I went from 289 pounds of fat to down to 255 and then all the way back up to 295 at one point with muscle. So I, I've, been, I've been going hard, you know, two and a half hours a day since California. So I feel a lot better. That's interesting about Hashimoto's disease because I too have a thyroid issue. It was really interesting because it went down and up, down and up. So when I finally saw a specialist, I have to tell you, like I paid out the ass for this, unfortunately, but she was worth it. Um, so now I'm on 75 milligrams of tyrosine, but I started taking NAD injections. You could buy those through those mail order companies. Um, it's really good. It helps with brain fog. <clears throat> And it helps with your energy levels and your skin and just your overall well-being. But with Hashimoto's, what did you take to help that? Did they put you on tyrosine as well? Like what, what did it's they do? It's levothyroxine. So I'm on 88 micrograms. I think it's micrograms of uh, levothyroxine. And I've kind of went up and down in dosages trying to figure it out. And then also just... Uh, Honestly, the coming back to working out a lot and stuff has actually really helped me because it's hard to do when you have no energy. I still have no energy, you know, even with the with the thyroid pills, I still am tired all the time. It's hard to get out of bed in the morning, you know, to go to work. It's hard to, you know, but forcing myself to having the, you know, the mental strength to say, I'm going to do it anyway. And, and working out and doing cardio and doing all that stuff has boosted my energy levels. I feel like that's been good. And then plus I take you know, a lot of supplements and vitamins and stuff like that. So I think that that's helping out a lot too. So if you're looking for the safest and coolest way to bet online and the most variety, of course, of games and like almost anything you could bet on, stop at betonline.ag because I guarantee you there is something for everyone. The fun supplements. Okay, so I had a testosterone shot from my doctor. I couldn't believe it. So I'm like, you know, I'm really not feeling anything. This is just horrible. I think I need another one. Next thing you know, I start breaking out on my chin. So I have to get um, a cortisone injection to take it down. Then all of a sudden, I'm at the gym the other day doing these little kickbacks with free weights on them. Little as they didn't have a, a, a stopper on it. I kicked the weight off of it. I'm like, okay, I'm feeling it now. <laughs> <laughs> That's but good. I want to try creatine. What are your thoughts on creatine? Because I heard it makes you bloated, but they have like all these companies out there with like creatine and ones that bloat, ones that don't bloat. Or... I take uh, creatine monohydrate every day. So I take so I, I take a protein shake before and after working out, which is uh, like the high end, um, the one that GNC makes. Uh, it's it's uh, what's it called? Wavebolic. Mm-hmm. I think it is. So it's got a bunch of stuff in it too, but I also put creatine monohydrate in there and, um, in, in both shakes. And then I, I do like protein through the day and stuff like that. But, uh, I, I think it helps. I, I think the creatine helps. Yeah. I'm going to try it. I just bought the animal one. It tastes like grape chalk, but it's really yeah. good. Cause like when I saw you the other, uh, last, last month or two months, lot in December, I was 98 pounds, 99 pounds. So it's been a challenge with my weight. I think I got like a little bit too happy with some agglutide injections. Um, so anyway, moving right along. <laughs> so your podcast, so true crime horror stories, you guys have to definitely listen to it. There are a few interesting episodes in there, but 
it's kind of fascinating because a lot of people are just fascinated and interested in um, things that were either unsolved or things that they might have their own spin to because you always have an internet sleuth out there. Sure. What attracted you to that? You know, uh, as a kid, I used to always watch the show Forensic Files. Yeah. It's always always on. No matter what time of day, it's always on some channel, right? Repeat episodes (laughs) over and over. So I started watching that and then kind of got into reading some of the, you know, true crime, you know, A to Z of serial killers and psychopathy, that kind of stuff. Reading those kind of books, you know, throughout uh, middle school, high school, and then as an adult. And um, I've always liked to write. So I've written short stories, horror stories, things like that. And um, combining that with my podcast is a little different than a lot of uh, other true crime podcasts because it's not a room full of people just talking, bantering about a case and giving their opinions and stuff. It's more like forensic files where it's highly produced. And I do. It's kind of a mixed bag. Some episodes are just me telling the story but it's all written and scripted, you know? Um, and then some episodes feature 911 calls, news clips, uh, you know, source audio, that kind of stuff. Uh, there are episodes uh, feature interviews. I've interviewed killers. I've interviewed detectives. I've interviewed authors um, and interspersed those interviews that I kind of chop them up and use that to help me tell the story. It's not just like, so what did you do about like this? Blah, blah, blah. You know, back and forth of an interview. It's more like, when I interviewed the selfie killer, there's this girl, uh, Amanda Taylor, the selfie killer. Um, I used her best friend from her best friend's uh, interview I did and my interview with her and myself to kind of tell the story, kind of intersperse all that together and make it into a narrative. And then um, some of the episodes, like I said, are just me talking, telling the story. It is kind of like an anthology horror movie to where I have episodes grouping similar cases like a cannibals episode that kind of thing where you know it's three yeah. different stories but all about cannibals um i have sexual sadists those are the the craziest ones um that a lot of people have to turn off i would say my podcast is not for the faint of heart like it is definitely a lot more graphic and extreme than a lot of the things out there almost anything out there a lot of people say it is the most dark and disturbing version of true crime storytelling so it's very interesting because a friend of mine was murdered a few years ago um, by her ex. And I just have to say, like, the LAPD totally failed her because she had a, a restraining order against him prior to that. Then he started harassing her again. Oh, well, you passed the time to um, to, re- to renew your restraining order, so we can't do anything. A few days la- like later, he just throws her off the roof of her house. So I was at WrestleCon or uh, not WrestleCon at the LAX Fan Fest. A reporter who covered it came by and like showed me photos of the crime scene right there. I was so sick to my stomach. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? That that was my friend. Like, you can't just come up here and show that to me. How yeah. do you stomach looking at some of these photos? Because this was totally morbid. What he showed me, like her head was just look. It just ugh, creepy. It's. <laughs> It it definitely like leaves a stain on your soul. Like it's uh, the toolbox killers episode. I had to that one. I had to take a long break after that. Um, it was very some of the audio tapes and and the the script that I had to read for that uh, was very very disturbing. So it it does kind of put you in a place of you know. I started having uh, another one too. I I started having nightmares involving Richard Ramirez after I did the Richard Ramirez episode. I, and I started having these dreams about scenarios where I, not that Richard Ramirez is trying to kill me or anything, but that I keep running into him in different places. And then it actually kind of came to my waking life because I was in Santa Barbara working and uh, I looked and I'm like, 
that's that's Richard Ramirez right there cutting a lawn. And I turned back and looked again, and it didn't even look like him at all. <laughs> but but, but <laughs> when I when I was there, it was just you know kind of invading my waking life. I'm like, okay, I need to kind of dial it back a little bit and take some more time. So then I started taking a little bit of breaks instead of being. I was doing an episode every two weeks, which is a lot because one episode of True Crime Horror Story takes me about forty or fifty hours. <sighs> it's not like I just kind of throw it together. I do all sorts of research. You know, I compile a script there's music too that that's like proprietary music to our show um not just take it off the internet or anything but like i have someone who helps compose music and, and that kind of stuff so it's a lot of work so i i actually have been taking a break recently we just hit a million downloads so it's, yeah. it's the show's done really well um and it for a while there it was becoming like well can i just do this and quit my actual career which takes a lot of my time too and just do this. I was, I was really debating it at one point. And then I came to a point of like, I don't know if I can, because it's just immersing myself in all this darkness constantly and making that what my life's all about. It's kind of, that's kind of a, a scary concept. You know, it would be nice to be able to just create uh full time, but um, I had to say, you know, I can't. And then I kind of dialed back and I'm, I, I'm taking a little bit of a break, but I'll come back. I think you should do it because what I, what I feel out of this, so when I was in high school, there was a book called Skull by Michael Slade. Did you ever see that book? Mm -mm. It's really interesting. So it's a compilation of short stories, but they kind of intertwine and go back and forth, back and forth. And like the chapters are synonymous with, um, with what's going on in each story. So let's say you have four stories going at once. Next chapter you go back to those stories back and forth, but they're woven in really well. I don't know if he's still around, but it's worth checking out. But I, I sense something like maybe um, a web series, something that you'd find on Crypt TV or uh, just on YouTube of just short stories being reenacted in some of these somehow. Sure, um, sure. Even though there are a bunch of reenactments out there. I mean, God knows I worked on those when I started acting again, like all these reenactments and you learn so much about people. What I want to know is how did you get original recordings and phone recordings? Is that public knowledge? Or, I mean, is it uh, available to the public? If you're looking for a way to put some energy into your life and some pep in your day, and of course, with very clean, zero calorie and zero sugar energy, go to tigerlife.com. That's T-I-G-E-R-L-Y-F-E.com. Make sure you get a case of the stuff and use my code jasmine sc j-a-s-m-i-n-s-c for free shipping it's totally worth it uh you have to request it so some of it is available to the public some of it i found on youtube and things like that you know and or old newscast i i had this there's this website called newspapers.com where you can uh -huh. subscribe and be a member to where you can actually pull basically any newspaper article that ever existed from local local newspapers so it's better than the library you know because i could just type in and find things that a lot of people too uh, one of the best compliments i've gotten on the show is a lot of people are like wow you have so much in depth about this case i never knew this or that like i've heard other people do the same case multiple times but i never knew this or that because we really put the research and i had a team uh you know at one point i had a team of uh, a few other researchers and writers helping me out and uh, that that was a uh, very beneficial Lana McCall. I couldn't have done it without her. Uh, got it to where I did. She was, she's great. Um, she was my head researcher for many years. So. Wow. That's like 
that's seriously like going down the rabbit hole of like everything, not leaving like any cover opened or any like T uncrossed, but that really is getting there, which I think a lot of stories need. I see so many things like over the past few years, especially during the, um, the height of the Me Too movement, I started getting more and more curious about things. There was that whole UVA scandal and she got fired for sloppy journalism. And there's such a fine line between what you can and can't do. Have you ever been approached by the families of the deceased to maybe stop or just don't put this out? Only I've only been approached by families in a positive way. So uh, my one of my most recent seasons uh, was season five. Uh, I did a a interview with the parents of uh, a local case. Um, Thomas Strogery was a, a kid who was thrown off of a parking uh, structure by a older man he had met that was there was something going on with them that um, that he that Thomas was not really thinking it was going to be like that. You know, the guy was kind of like being a creep to him. And um, I interviewed his parents. They came to my studio and I, I told the story. So uh, that was good. Um, as far as a family interaction. Uh, I don't know if you know, Gino Rivera is an independent wrestler. Um, yeah. That I actually did a podcast with him because his brother was murdered um, oh. many years ago. So I did a, a, a podcast with him so he could tell the story about his brother and stuff. So mainly when it comes to the families, it's, it's nothing but, been but a positive interaction it hasn't been like i can't believe you're telling this story or anything like that they've actually helped me tell the stories at times yeah that's interesting I, i've met quite a few crime writers in my time and uh my friend christian cipollini so he's dealing with Almano negro who's in jail right now and i guess he spoke with some of the victims like uh families and um then there are other people that i speak with now and again who write these stories and who do investigations so with the epstein files that just came out um, this is kind of a public known fact. I had the flight logs years ago when my friend investigated him, who was in the Netflix special. So it's such a um, it's such a weird thing reaching out to like these girls and speaking to them and hearing their stories because eventually that was another portion of it uh, before he sold them to TMZ. You know, he's trying to get some of the girls together to get their stories out there more. But I think it's like all out and about now. Is there any point that you might start going into? Uh, maybe some of the stories from other countries or have you done that? Cause there's so many stories out of Europe, like in Portugal, there's that little sure. girl, I forgot her name. Do you know the story where her mom left her in the bed by herself? Then she went outside with the family to eat right in the courtyard of the hotel. Then all of a sudden the girl goes missing, but the mother was a nurse and she was giving the kids some kind of thing to, to help them sleep. And it's quite possible the child overdosed. And then maybe I think that maybe they buried her because 20 years later, 25 years later, whatever it is, you're still pushing this whole thing about finding her. It seems like there's so much guilt, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know the story? Uh, I, I don't know that one, but I, I have done a lot of international cases. So I, the, the show, I do have some that are like heavy hitters episodes. So like I did a Dahmer episode, you know, I did an Edmund Kemper episode, like some of the big, big cases that are well known, but I always try to do it in a different way than you've ever heard before. But most of the show is lesser known cases from all over the world. So Asia, Africa, Europe, ev everywhere. So. Yeah, it's um, there's so many things out there. And I think on Netflix, they're starting to put a lot of those stories up there right now. I'm watching um, Class Act. It's about a French guy who swindled all these people. It's a true crime story. It's, there's no murder, but it's just about 
it's a swindling story. Then you watch something like Mask Girl, which is about a girl who ended up on the internet and putting this mask on her face and taking all these hot selfies, but she murdered like three people. That was somewhere in Asia. Oh, but wow. it seems like there are, yeah, there are a lot of things out there that I'm watching now. Then you have the one, the girl in the picture. Um, it was a story about a German girl. Do you know this one? No, I, the girl in the picture. No. Yeah, it's it's very it's it's a lot of creepy stuff out there. Then when you know living in these other countries, you hear about other crazy stories here and there. Uh, that story you told me before about the young guy reminds me of uh, Bard Ithium from um, from Emperor. He's a drummer in Emperor, which is a black metal band. To some people who listen to the show, you could just Google them. And he ended up murdering an older guy in the park years ago in Norway and ended up doing quite a bit of time. But the guy was trying to do funny stuff with him. So yeah, in some it's, cases, it's self-defense. <laughs> yeah, the, the movie Lords of Chaos, they they, yeah. uh, they have that in there. I actually did a Mayhem episode also. So did you? Yeah. So, uh, and that was, uh, I think... A couple seasons ago, it was a whole like uh, black metal kind of episode. So, what do you think of Lords of Chaos? I liked it for what it is as a movie. You know, like it's an entertaining movie, but I don't know how true to the actual story that it is. You know, with uh, Macaulay Culkin's little brother and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. Yeah, I was at a party uh, about a year before that started, and um, this is at a Hollywood party, and this really like dingy looking guy he heard me talking about black metal to someone and at the time i was living in norway and just coming back and forth and he's like oh i heard you talk about black metal i'm like yeah well i'm supposed to play varg do you who's varg i'm like are you fucking kidding me have you ever heard of bursa i'm like i had to go into these whole things to explain to him who this person was nonetheless i don't think he ended up playing the role i didn't want to see the movie just out of i just I think living there and being there and knowing the people, you just don't want to watch it because it's some kind of like watered down, fabricated tale of things that were going on of a very sure. dark era, by the way. Uh, sure. So question about the Cecil Hotel. Do you have any theories about that? Oh, uh, you know, a, a lot of strange things have happened there over the years. And uh, I, I think that some places, I, I don't necessarily know if I believe in like, hauntings and that kind of stuff. But I think some places are just bad, you know, uh, as far as there, if, if so much horrible shit goes down in one location, it's kind of like has this wave of sadness in the air when you're there, you know, or, or whether it's ghost or whether it's whatever it is, um, you know, if, if more and more things keep happening there, there has to be something to it. So. Yeah. And I think that's where Richard Ramirez used to stay back in the day. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah. He was there at the Cecil hotel. Yeah. For, for I, I think, um, I don't think he murdered someone there, but I think he, he had been there. Yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of murders there back in the day. Cause that whole area, that block in downtown LA is very seedy. And I remember one night leaving a venue from downtown. I was at a carcass show and I was leaving to go find my car in a parking lot. It felt so weird because I know I was there alone, but I didn't feel alone. And I'm yeah. sure there are lots of spirits and all kinds of like unsettled beings, you know, that kind of wander around. It's a very grimy part of LA, I think, downtown. Um, nothing's really, uh, I don't think anything's very good is very, uh, I don't think anything good has come out of downtown LA in my many times being there. <laughs> So nowadays, it's really questionable about where our meat is coming from with people like Bill Gates and everyone else screwing up our farm produce. 
So I decided to try my freeze-dried beef because it's the freshest beef ever at freedomfirstbeef.com. If you go to freedomfirstbeef.com, they have freeze-dried 100% organic beef and put in the code JASMINE, J-A-S-M-I-N, for 15% off. Crazy question. So do you believe in ghosts? I don't know. I I don't know if I believe in them per se or I don't know, but I've, I've had a couple strange occurrences in my life. Um, so a town I grew up in was Lompoc, California, and there's a mission there, a really old mission. Um, and it's called La Parisma Mission. My, there's one little farmhouse right across from, from the mission that my friend and his dad lived in. Um, and we went out there one day where, and we decided we're going to go to the mission at night. Cause everyone says they see ghosts there, you know? So it's like, it's like two in the morning, you know, we're probably like 17 or something, you know, we, yeah, we had, a, we had a few beers and stuff, but, but we went to the mission in search of ghosts and I saw a little old lady in the window in the, in the two story window just for a second. And then I looked and she wasn't there. So I don't know whether that is your mind playing tricks on you based on this is what you want to see. So you're going to see it. Um, I had another instance where I remember feeling like really strong wind on my back when I was laying towards, towards the wall in my bed. And I felt really, really strong wind. I turned and there's no doors open. There's no windows open. I just kind of remember feeling really, really weird, you know, at that, at that time. But those are the only two instances I've ever had personally. Have you ever seen anything like that? Um, it's really weird because an ex of mine, okay, so we were at the W Hotel in Seattle and the CD player kept going on and off by itself, but that's not all. Then we're at the W Hotel in New York City a couple of months later. I found out later the W Hotel, it was on Lexington Avenue and 49th Street, used to be a children's hospital, but the floor we were staying on was this brand new remodeled uh, spa floor with uh, the spa access to it and all these free treatments. Okay, great. The water kept going on and off by itself in the bathroom. Then it was flickering on and off by itself. Then I found out that specific floor was for the, um, the kids that were mentally disturbed. And those sound like kid things to do. But sure. when I was with him in Washington at someone's bar downstairs, it was called the catwalk. We were downstairs and it felt really scary. It, I, I just, I felt something was off. We, I found out it was a brothel back in the day and there were a bunch of murders. So I think I've seen things. I've definitely felt them, but when I'm by myself, I don't. Um, when Only when I hang out with this person, these stupid things happened. And I should have listened to my friend before even going out with him because she said he's like the devil that she saw all these weird things happen. And I thought she was just saying that, but she, um, she wasn't just saying that. Yeah. Um, you experienced yeah, it personally. I choose not to see these things. I don't want them around me, even though if they're good, it's fine. I just don't want them around me. Sure. Is that mean? No, I don't think, I don't think so. <laughs> it's too like unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. Did you ever hear of the Buffalo Jim Las Vegas hotel story? No. This is about a local wrestling promoter named Buffalo Jim in Nevada who had some links to a car dealership and some things to a city council and he ended up dead. It's sort of like an unsolved mystery. Some people say he was murdered by some politician. Someone else said that he killed himself. Someone else said that, oh, no, it was just the, um, the meds or he had a really bad heart. 
So it's just something I just, I started looking into it. I don't know if I'm really going to go down the rabbit hole of it because it's a lot of work, but it seems like sure. a lot of fun. It's an interesting field for sure what you're doing. And hopefully you uh, you get back to creating more with it and uh, covering more stories. Um, I know Italy, they always have a bunch of great stories. Ah, the Vatican Girl. Did you ever see that one? No. Is that a documentary? Yeah. Yeah. Just go on Netflix. It's all the, because right now I I hate to say this. So many things on American TV suck dick. Like, Oh yeah. Really? Exactly. So I've been watching a lot of things from Europe. Um, I got done with uh, watching Harlan Coben's movie uh, shows, but those are all like, they're, they're not real. They're not true crime. Um, but then you go into the documentary section. There are so many different things there. And Vatican girl is really a, very fascinating one. It deals with the Vatican. It deals with the corruption. It deals with, you know, missing girl, dead or alive. So it's all these things. Um, did you ever try to solve a crime yourself? Not not really solve a crime, but try to get uh, with the Thomas Schroeder case. Um, the person who that the family believes is responsible for his death is free huh. and has never really formally been on trial. They So they had to do a civil case. Uh, and then they're in discovery. It's still kind of ongoing, but he goes every time that they do the vigil for their son. Um, you know, he always drives by it. They always see him, you know, he's always, he's always around, you know, kind of thing. And, uh, trying to get more eyes onto that story so that there could be some form of force, uh, formal prosecution and, um, you know, helping that family. That's, that's kind of like, as far as being involved with it as, as much as I have, uh, not necessarily try to solve the case, but, try to help out point eyes in the right direction so that something can change. Do you believe in police psychics? Not really. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of people who can use generalities, you know, basically like, Oh, it's this, they, they're, they're smart, but it's kind of like a form of manipulation. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not going to say that not that all psychics are bullshitters. You know, I don't know that. You know, there might be somebody out there who does it, but as far as like the police psychics and stuff, not really. Yeah, I don't know if I believe in psychics anymore. I knew of one and only one, and she was right about one thing without me even saying anything to her. It was really creepy. And yeah, uh, yeah I just, I stopped talking to her after that. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you don't want to know. Like, you just don't want to hear the other dark and drastic things that could be heading your way. Um, yeah seriously but for the most part i mean this sounds like a very interesting project and i hope you keep it up i hope you keep putting out more and more episodes even though it takes a lot of time to um you know to put together 40 50 hours is a lot of time it now is. on a lighter note you have your horror movie uh podcast tell us about that yeah the postmortem show horror movie podcast we've been doing it for eight years uh it's the longest running horror movie podcast there's almost 400 episodes out there uh we do interviews with directors and things like that but we also do horror news we do movie reviews typically we do a, something called the good and bad movie of the week where myself and my co-host dom both review a bad movie and a good movie <laughs> so it's not necessarily just good movies sometimes we talk about bad horror movies and that's fun too and then we do a top five list so you know top five serial killers in a horror movie or top five, you know, beheadings, you know, a different, different, uh, lists regarding horror movies. It's, it's more of a comedy podcast than it is. It's about horror movies, but it's more like offensive comedy than it is, uh, strictly like movie reviews. I had no idea that Elvira went to groundlings. It was so crazy. I found this out like my first day of classes there. I'm like, she went to groundlings, but I loved Elvira. She's like one of my favorite, um horror host of that yeah. era it was her and who else Rhonda Rhonda Shear 
Rhonda Shearer up all night. Yeah, I don't know whatever yeah. happened to her, but you always see Elvira around at like Comic Con and things like that. Um, yep, I have a Elvira cardboard stand up um, in my studio right now. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. What the Bud Light was it like a Budweiser beer thing she had? It's a Coors Light. That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I, I used to love those. Very interesting person as well. Uh, did you watch all the Rob Zombie movies? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got to do that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's great. <laughs> what are your yeah. thoughts on a lot of his films? I love House of a Thousand Corpses much more than anything he's ever done. Like, that's it's like the first movie he did, and it's by far the best. I love The Devil's Rejects also. Um, but other than that, I like I don't like the Halloweens. You know, I like the original Halloween. You know, I'm, I'm not really into his Halloween movies. And uh, they, they did the Three from Hell, which was the, the third uh, Firefly family movie, which was um, the after uh, Sid Haig, who played Captain Spaulding, passed away while they were filming, I believe. So he's just like a small cameo and you can't do the spot. You can't do the Firefly family without Captain Spaulding, you know, just time to time to hang it up. If, he, if he's not going to be involved, you know, then it's, it's not strong enough without him. So that's yeah. my favorite character. He's one of my favorite characters as well. I don't like remakes. Just leave movies alone. If they have sure. crappy like effects, just leave it as is, please. Did you ever yeah. have Leatherface on your um, podcast? Uh, no, but I did a, um, for, as a wrestling appearance, we did something that was like, uh, <laughs> a screening of Texas Chainsaw, uh, the 2003 version. And then two of the actors that played Leatherface were there at the thing. And then me and Bo Cooper were there as wrestlers, <laughs> which is very strange. You know, it's like a half wrestling appearance signing slash Leatherface. So it was kind of cool, you know? Oh yeah, Andrew Bernarski probably went. He was one of the leather faces. I had no idea who he was then. Uh, I didn't know he was one of the leather faces at any point. Then I'm backstage at a concert and I was trying to talk to him. He's like, "Oh, I'm on the phone doing an interview." I'm like, "Why the fuck would you be doing an interview? Don't you know who he is? He was Leatherface." Oh, okay. I had no clue. Sorry. <laughs> what do you think the difference is between a B movie and just a good horror film? I think it's all about the vibe of the movie, some, some of the cheap effects, you know, and stuff, I can't, I can get away with it, you know, if it's, or they can get away with it. If it's the, the feeling of the, the movie gives you, you know, uh, it's in the writing, character development, storytelling, that kind of stuff, because some of my favorite movies are not necessarily like the biggest budgets, you know, reanimator is pretty, pretty decent budget, but that's like one of my favorite horror movies is reanimator. <laughs> Have you seen that one? No. Oh, you got to see it. It's a, it's a total cheesy 80, 1985 um, Lovecraft kind of inspired movie about a guy who keeps bringing back the dead and really, really gory, really good. So check that one out. Yeah, I like those. They're just fun to watch. It's not overly yeah. done. Sure. Um, I worked on a few. I guess they, they rate them R. I don't know if they're B films or what they are, but I worked for this director a few times and it's just very funny when you go uh, into that rabbit hole of it and you go to the signings at like MonsterCon and you see a lot of these ladies, it's just like whole small catty little circle of them that probably never really took a class anywhere to study acting, but they get really catty when there's like a newcomer to the scene. It's amazing, but uh, I, I had fun. Like the first thing I ever did was a Scream Queen illustrated magazine when I was 18 years old. So I met this guy at Comic-Con. This is really crazy. I had no idea who he was. It was John Russo. 
Oh, wow. And that's the first film I ever did was a film for John Russo back in the day. It was, God, like 90s, something 90s, uh, early 90s. But uh, it's uh, such a small world. Yeah, it's, it's almost like a wrestling tour, like you said, about people being catty and stuff like that. And, you know, new new person comes along and stuff. Uh, that's really prevalent in wrestling as well. So, Oh, yeah, it's very prevalent, extremely prevalent. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, and then also with this whole thing with horror, I mean, I uh, it's, it's a very big genre. And I think everyone's doing something in horror these days. Do you have any intention of perhaps doing a film down the line? That's something I've always wanted to do, uh, you know, ever since I was a little kid. That that was like my dream job as a little kid would be to direct horror movies. You know, I've been into the genre since I was like four years old. So um, I have me, me and uh, Dom from Postmortem Show, we have uh, worked on some scripts and stuff to try to make a little low budget movie. Uh, but we haven't actually formally started production or anything like that on it. But we we have actually done a script and thought about putting something together it's just i have hands in too many things i think <laughs> you know too many too many hats at once you know between uh my actual career between wrestling between playing in a band having four kids and a wife <laughs> a lot of stuff going on podcasts you know just just too, too many outlets you know to where sometimes uh it's hard to focus on one because i'm being pulled in, in so many directions uh creatively so wait a second when you're saying dom and you're saying postmortem podcast now I, I was at the Arrow Theater. I go, I see movies there. It's like a revival theater with old movies on the big screen. I'm just trying to figure out what's your what's your partner's last name? Balsamo. Uh, he's he's from here locally by me. I'm about three hours north of LA. So I, I don't I don't know if you, that you've met him. He's a uh, he he was a manager in wrestling for a while a few years ago, but uh, just on like indies and stuff. He didn't do XPW or anything like that. Okay, yeah. Now there's another person. So I don't know if you had this guy, Mick. Oh, Mick Garris or Nick Garris. Yes, he. That's he what I saw. I met him once before. So he buried us in the feed big time because we came out with the postmortem show, right? And then uh -huh. he came out. He, I guess, he had a TV show called Postmortem or something a long time ago. He decided he's gonna start podcasting and he's going to take the name postmortem and be and since he's a famous director it kind of made it so our in the in the feed ours went way down so you know kind of we were on a, a little bit of a roll there a few years ago but as soon as he came out with his it was like oh wait wait which show so we did get some people that were trying to find his show that found ours and were like oh you're just better but but uh a lot of a lot of people you know like oh that's the mccarris show no it's not it's a different one we we had the name before he came out into podcast but i'm not going to say that we had it first because I guess he did have a TV project or something that, I don't know. that was called that. But yeah, I just went to see a movie that he directed. I totally forgot which one it was. And then he was there doing like a Q and a after, cause they do mm -hmm. those all the time. I met Tippi Hedren when they played the birds and I bought her book. I have a photo with her somewhere. Uh, I miss for Hitchcock movies. I think they were some of the best. I like vertigo. So cool. And well done. I wish they'd make movies like this again. Uh, that's a problem, I think, with all the PC stuff in Hollywood and too much of this, like, uh, oh, you don't want to defend people. You don't want too much nudity. You don't want too much of that. We're taken away from, like, all the campiness of some of these horror films. That sure. Really cool. 1984 from AHS was one of my favorite series. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. The the American Horror Story one? Yeah. 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 That, that was pretty good. Yeah. I, I, I like the first American Horror Story season still the most out of all of them. Yeah, like, it was in the murder house. Yeah, yeah, that was that's the one that was really good. Like the first 
few seasons were amazing. I think after that, it just went in a different direction. I'm sorry about the postmortem thing. I had no idea. I feel so. Oh, no, it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. It is but what it is. If it makes you feel better, though, my friend James Balsamo came out here. He directs a bunch of horror films. So he's a good Balsamo. Um, okay. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully you guys meet sometime. He comes to shows now and again. So are there any <laughs> plans to travel with XPW or are you just sticking local to the California shows? Oh, if Rob wants to bring me to other shows, I'm willing to go do it. Um, you know, I've been, I've traveled kind of all back in the day. I traveled all over the country doing wrestling and uh, I'd like to do New Jersey and or Texas or any of those shows. I'd like to, but you know, that's really up to him and his budget. If he wants to send me, then I'll go. But um, you know, I think keep delivering, you know, at the shows and, and having good matches and doing crazy shit. Then hopefully his hands will be tied at one point and he'll, he'll be like, Oh, I, I have to send him. So. Well, there's always overseas. It's interesting because certain parts of Europe, they're not doing death matches. I'm um, not in England, by the way, just like I'm thinking like Amsterdam, Sweden, they don't have the death matches. There. You, the only thing you might see that is remotely hardcore is a baseball bat with barbed wire and that's it. But they don't sure. really use it, use it like we do. Uh, yeah. So who knows? Are you going to go overseas anytime soon to do more wrestling? Uh I would love to go to Japan. I was talking to Necro about it at the show, but um, I get I he told me who to contact. So Pondo, um, yep, Pondo, and see see how that works out. So um, I I would love to. That was always my goal would be to go to Japan. Uh, so well, yeah, they do. They run things very well there. And like backstage at Quirk and Hall, they had these just these uh, vending machines, and they had all these drinks in there. I'm wondering. I wonder how fresh they are. They change them like every morning, and I guarantee that all of the drinks get sold out by the end of the day. I mean, there's sure. like five different iced coffees or like six or seven different sodas and all these waters. So needless to say, it's a different experience and the promoters are great. The next tour is in um, April and that's for golden week. And it's a very popular time in Japan. It's cherry blossom uh, festivals and things like that. Oh, that's cool. I'll probably go to the Sanrio park then and see Hello Kitty and like get a photo with Hello Kitty for like once. <laughs> I've been yeah, threatening. That, 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 is, that is my ultimate goal though, is to go to Japan. That's, that's my ultimate goal. I'd like to do that at least once before I start wrestling. It'll happen. I don't know how, I don't know how many, how many more years I got left in me, you know, I'm 38. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking maybe, Probably by 40, I might be done. We'll see. So That's what they all say. Look at Necro with Pondo. Come on. This is like I know. Blood. I said I was done. Then Rob called me like, God, is this almost two years? Oh, this April will be two years. And he called me a couple of years ago. I'm like, sure, I'll come in for the show. <laughs> and here we are. Yep. Uh, we'll have a guest. Um, but you never say never in wrestling. So why don't you give us your plugs and where people can actually find you on the World Wide Web? Sure, you can follow me Instagram at JDH138. That's JD Horror page. And then um, also on Facebook, uh, you can find True Crime Horror Story on every major podcast platform, truecrimehorrorstory.com. And you can go to truecrimehorrorstory.com slash merch if you want to buy either JD Horror t-shirts or True Crime Horror Story, postmortem, all that swag. We got all that. And True Crime Horror Story is also on Instagram and Facebook as well. Groovy. Thank you very much. I'm going to listen uh, to some of your episodes because I'm curious. Awesome. These types of things really excite me. All right. Thank you once again. Thank you so much for having me on the show, Jasmine. See you soon.